This is Earth Files, the award-winning news site with the latest updates in science, environment, and real X-Files. Podcasting in-depth reports beyond the 6 o'clock news by Emmy Award-winning journalist Linda Moulton Howe. No one understood at 2.46 p.m. local time on March 11, 2011, in Sendai, Japan, that the nearly five minutes of severe rocking and rolling of the ground and collapse of buildings and houses would end up being the largest earthquake in Japan's history. 9.0 magnitude, with its epicenter 80 miles east of Sendai. And no one realized that a massive wall of water 33 feet high, a tsunami, would come 20 minutes later and destroy far more than the earthquake, rolling six miles inland, piling houses on top of houses, cars on top of cars, boats on top of boats, and covering up human bodies, animals, and plants in a catastrophic Mother Nature grave of mud and debris. Then came the third blow that threatens not only the humans, plants, and animals trying to survive there now, but could affect a generation or more to come. It's invisible, but can be lethal, and it is spreading out of the Fukushima nuclear power plant about 60 miles south of Sendai. In one week, the headlines have changed from no electric power to run the backup diesel generators that cool the fuel rods in the reactors in the spent fuel pools to the March 18th admission by Japan Prime Minister Naoto Kan that, quote, This is the biggest crisis for Japan. Very grave, close quote. In a March 18th press conference held by the Tokyo Electric Power Company known as TEPCO and owner of the Fukushima plant, TEPCO's managing director said that three of the nuclear reactors are in partial meltdown and radiation leaking from the six deteriorating nuclear power reactors is enough to kill some people. Then he broke down and cried tears, a scene that was photographed by the Kyoto News Agency. Kyoto News also reported March 18th that Japan's nuclear safety agency had raised the severity level of crisis-hit reactors at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant from 4 to 5 on an international scale of 7, the same level as the Three Mile Island accident in the United States in 1979. The nuclear agency also confirmed that Unit 4 at the plant was overheating in its spent fuel pool, adding to the crisis of partial meltdowns in Units 1, 2, and 3. Further, Scott Portsline of Three Mile Island Alert in Pennsylvania discovered in TEPCO helicopter video of the damaged reactor buildings on March 17th what appears to be fire in Unit 1, raising the question, is spent fuel burning there now, too? Finally, on March 18th, Japanese officials admitted that since water cannons, fire trucks, and tons of helicopter-lifted water have not stopped the uncontrolled heating in the Fukushima reactors, they might bury the reactors under sand and concrete, as happened at the Chernobyl-Ukraine-Soviet Union nuclear reactor disaster in 1986 a place that is still radioactive 25 years later. Upon hearing about this possible and desperate proposal, Professor Murray Jennings at the University of California in San Diego told reporters, quote, Reactors are kind of like a coffee maker. 
If you leave it on the heat, they boil dry and then they crack. Putting concrete on that would not help keep your coffee makers safe. But eventually, yes, you could build a concrete shield and be done with it, close quote. And like Chernobyl, there will be a dead zone around Fukushima for the foreseeable future. On Wednesday, March 16th, I talked with a nuclear engineer who has spent 39 years managing and coordinating projects at 70 nuclear power plants in the United States. He is Arnie Gunderson, chief engineer of the Fairwinds Associates in Burlington, Vermont. Arnie has provided testimony on nuclear operations, reliability, safety, and radiation issues to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, congressional and state legislatures, government agencies and officials in the U.S., Canada, and internationally. In 2008, Arnie was appointed to be the first chair of the Vermont Yankee Nuclear Power Plant Oversight Panel. Even though 72 hours ago seems like a lifetime in the hourly and ominous developments emerging from Japan, Arnie Gunderson told me then he thought the Fukushima situation could be as bad or worse than Chernobyl and expected the situation to worsen, which sadly today it is. Here now is longtime nuclear engineer Arnie Gunderson. Authorities want to think this is a controllable situation, and it's not. It's time to at least get women and children out. I had been saying out to 40 kilometers. The U.S. government is out beyond that. 80 kilometers is 50 miles. Here, what that would mean is Indian Point would have to evacuate New York City. We know that earlier, the U.S. military flew over Fukushima with infrared sensors. Is it possible that our government now has something in infrared that has given them even more ominous information? I think these reactors are hot enough that they could see them on satellite already. They probably got more accurate readings, and my guess is that they believe that one of those containments is near to a total meltdown. I don't really differentiate much between a total meltdown and a partial meltdown. Now we've got reactors at 70% fuel failure. The containments have completely failed. That's about 100 times worse than what we considered the maximum credible accident just last week. There's three that were operating, and those are in the process of having a meltdown, one, two, and three. Four and five were shut down for repair. In a lot of ways, they are worse because the nuclear fuel pools are in that flimsy little building at the top of the nuclear reactor, and they're not in the containment whatsoever. So if the fuel pools run dry, the radiation will, will go out because there is no containment, and that's not a situation you want to be in. Is this why you were comparing this to Chernobyl? Yes. Chernobyl was one reactor core. Uh, Here we have three, one, two, and three. Plus, in four and five, there's essentially three or four reactor cores in each of those fuel bowls because they're spent fuel and they're waiting to cool down. So, in a sense, you've got seven, eight, nine reactor cores worth of uranium that are not being cooled right now. Whereas Chernobyl, we only had one. Just by that measure, you've got at least seven times the problem that we had at Chernobyl. But the other piece of it is that Chernobyl core 
could be bombs from above. You know, if you remember the helicopters on Chernobyl, they were dropping material directly into the core and ultimately mitigated the accident. These cores you can't get at because they've got that building over the top. And the only alternative is to just pump lots of water in, and that seems to be ineffective. Did they drop boron on Chernobyl, and why aren't they doing something with boron in the Japan reactors? They did drop boron on Chernobyl because Chernobyl was not a meltdown in that sense. Chernobyl was a criticality. That core was designed differently, and the way to solve a nuclear chain reaction is to pour boron in it. These reactors have shut down. We're not talking about a nuclear reaction at this point. Really, we're not talking about a nuclear criticality here. We're talking about removing heat. So all you need is water. If it is hot enough for the uranium products to go into gases, could you explain what would be the radioactive gases and at what levels can they reach if they cannot control this further? The gases in Unit 1, 2, and 3... The gases include radioactive iodine, which is a thyroid seeker and can cause thyroid cancer. They also include short-lived half-life isotopes like xenon and krypton. And those are noble gases, and those are gamma emitters. They surround you in a cloud, and it's just like getting an x-ray. They also include cesium, strontium, and plutonium, which are very long-lived isotopes. Cesium is a muscle seeker. And at Chernobyl caused something called Chernobyl heart. There were a a large number of children born with heart defects because their mothers had ingested cesium and their hearts were defective as a result. The cesium deformed the muscle. Strontium is a bone seeker and causes leukemia. And plutonium is uh, carcinogenic if inhaled. So the problem is on Unit 4 and 5 that plutonium cesium and strontium will volatilize. The particle size will be incredibly small and drift for very, very long distances in the wind, hundreds if not thousands of miles. And that means people can breathe it in and get it on their skin? Correct. What is the worst case now? What's the worst case is an exclusion area where people don't come back in for several miles to many miles. And I really don't know. So you mean a desolate wasteland could be the future now for the Fukushima site for the foreseeable future? The New York Times quoted that there will be areas near the plant that are uninhabitable afterward. And the question is how far out that circle goes, and nobody knows right now. I'm sure there's a mile or two outside that plant that's so contaminated that people won't get back in for 20 years. They're going to wind up diverting international flights, not just into Japan, but over Japan, to avoid these radioactive plumes. And the last thing you want is an aircraft that flies through one of these and lands in L.A. The other thing is if the wind blows back toward China, you're going to contaminate parts of mainland China or South Korea or North Korea or even Russia, depending on, you know, because they're all pretty close up there. And so you can expect that Dairy cattle might be affected in the next two or three months, depending on which way the wind blows. What can reach the northwestern U.S.? At the best, you're going to see iodine. How much iodine in milk, I don't know. I hope that's all that happens right now. If the fuel fire 
occurs, you're going to have to wash vegetables. After Three Mile Island, they freeze-dried the milk because of the iodine and let it decay away. Science has never evaluated what we're up against here. So we're out beyond where science has ever analyzed. But I think you can say it's bad and it's going to get worse. And how long would it be before iodine would be in milk here in the U.S.? Um, I'm guessing about 10 days. 10 days? Yeah. Would that mean that pregnant women and children should have iodine pills here? The Surgeon General's recommended that on the uh, Surgeon General's website. Yesterday, she was asked that in California, and she said she thought it would be prudent to take iodine pills. Thanks for listening to this Earth Files podcast from the edges of science, environment, and real X-Files. Go to www.earthfiles.com to see more than a thousand Earth Files reports with photographs, drawings, and documents. And visit Earth Files every day, every week, for new reports and new podcasts. That's www.earthfiles.com. 